Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Everybody and welcome to episode number 142 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We have a skeleton crew in Studio 3D this evening. I'm Russ, your host K5TUX, and with me tonight is Cheryl over there. Hey, hello, everybody. And missing from the lineup tonight is Pete V2XPL. We have no idea where he is. He could be. Uh, trapped in a cave somewhere, being eaten by a bear right now. We would have no clue whatsoever. So, <clears throat> Pete, we sure hope you're all right. And if you're on the next show, we know everything got better. So, with that, I guess, since we're not going to hear any idle chit-chat about the weather in Canada, we probably should just go ahead and move on to our first story. <gasps> yeah. So, our first story is not really a story. It's more of a website, and I'm not sure I recall why I was looking at vanity call signs but it probably came across my email box or something like that but i found this tool on a website called alpha echo 7 quebec.com ae7q.com and what it is is a utility for helping you find those elusive vanity call signs like if you want to look up your initials for example or something meaningful like k5tux you can find out what prefixes and suffixes and call sign areas might be available. The only thing I really dove into was looking at the 1x2 and 2x1 call signs on this website. What is immediately clear is that it's very, very hard to get 2x1s and 1x2s. So if you're looking for those, this is a nice utility because it gives you an idea of not only what isn't available, which is almost everything, it gives you an idea of when those call signs will be available, uh, when people have let their call signs lapse, so you know you have a six-month win- uh, window to wait for that call sign, when someone has become silent key or something like that. So it gives you a, a sort of an insight into call sign future availability, so you can latch on to those when they do become available. This is not the only site or the only database that provides this service. But it's the one that I came across, and I thought I would let everyone know about it. So once again, that's AE7Q.com. And as far as I know, this is only for United States call signs. I believe in like the United Kingdom, you're able to select your own call sign when you are initially licensed. Sort of everybody has the opportunity to get a vanity call. The uh, U.S. vanity call sign is, you know moderately new phenomenon and i'm not sure how it works in other countries but this site is specifically for us uh, call signs ae7q.com so uh the next one we have is an actual news story this one's uh, straight from the arrl the amateur radio relay league and i'll let uh, cheryl take this one all righty then it says that u.s amateur radio numbers reach an all-time high and the story reads that the amateur radio growth in the u.s continues to soar At the end of 2014, the total number of radio amateurs in the FCC's licensing system uh, database reached an all-time high of 726,000 
275 folks. The trend continued in the first two months of 2015. The population rose to slightly over 727,000. These figures exclude expired licenses that are within the two-year grace period and club station licenses. It says over the past decade, the number of video licenses in the database grew by some 8.1%, but 2014 was a banner year. All right. And that one, again, comes from the AWRL. That's very good. And like it says, it does not count expired licenses that are within the two-year re-up window. So there are actually, you know, they're taking a conservative approach to the number, which is nice. So there are actually more hams than that. There are just some who have let their licenses lapse. But uh, 727,000, that's that's a lot of hams just in the U.S. alone. Very good. And we hope that trend continues going forward. Uh, this is an interesting one. I had never heard of this before now, but this one comes from our friends over at the uh, Amateur Radio Newsline. It says, uh, Beartooth, B-E-A-R tooth, adds VHF and UHF voice and data to smartphones, which is kind of cool. According to its experimental license grant, Whiskey Hotel 2 X-Ray Lima Whiskey, the Beartooth, can operate anywhere in the 137 to 174 megahertz and 400 to 470 megahertz bands with an ERP of 2 watts. According to ComSearch's FCC emissions designation decoder, the license appears to cover amplitude, modu- uh, amplitude modulation and phase modulation, transmitting voice, data, and telegraphy for automatic reception. The Beartooth unit is described as a software-defined radio receiver and transmitter that interfaces with supported devices and includes a battery-to-double smartphone battery life, as we all know you need when you're transmitting a radio signal using a smartphone. Since the device is an SDR with a wide frequency range and not only supports the same type of personal communications provided by the recently introduced Gotenna, another product I had never heard of, but I'm definitely going to take a look into that, but it also adds the ability to communicate with any analog radios operating on the FRS, GMRS, and MURS spectrum. That's pretty cool. Uh, The device is also said to be usable on the amateur, 2-meter, and 70-centimeter bands. I have never heard of the Beartooth, and I have not heard of the Gotenna, but these sound like interesting technologies, and I'll be interested to see going forward how they integrate with the ham radio service and whether or not you'll be able to use your smartphone as a ham radio transceiver, which seems like a good use for a, a smartphone, since no one actually uses them as telephones anymore. Well, I think that's uh, all we had on the ham radio front, so we should probably move into the Linux front. Uh, and this story is a little bit of old news at this point. It's probably a month old, I think, now. But uh, Crunchbang and the developer of Crunchbang have decided to call it quits, which is sad news, but there's kind of a, a bright light at the end of this tunnel. Philip Newbro, the developer behind Crunchbang, has put an end to work on the distro. This was sad to everybody in the community, I think. But, of course, as we all know, when distros go away, they don't really go away because they could easily be picked up in the future by someone else. But he says, Crunchbang was built as a layer on top of Debian using the open box window manager that focused on performance and customization. He says, the changing landscape of Linux over the past decade has obviated the need for a distro like Crunchbang. While some things have stayed exactly the same, others have changed beyond all recognition. It's called progress, and for the most part, progress is a good thing. That said, when progress happens, some things get left behind. Newbro believes Vanilla Debian now fills the same niche Crunchbang once did. And I, I tend to believe that because with a minimal installation of newer variants of the Debian operating system, 
uh, particularly the ones that use like F- XFCE and the lighter weight desktops. I can see why he feels there isn't really a place for a Crunchbang anymore because the stock distro provides pretty much the same functionality. And of course, if you want to run OpenBox on Debian, you can do that as well, and you would pretty much have exactly what Crunchbang was. Well, it's sad in its way that it's come to the end of an era. Uh, at least we know there is a method going forward to doing the same basic thing. So with that said, let's uh, talk about the next one. Yeah, and this is actually kind of a twofold thing because we have a friend that has a Chromebook that's wanting to put Linux on it. So when we uh, started discussing it the uh, night before last, actually, now now we're finding all kinds of information about it. It's uh, want to run Linux on your Chromebook. And a story in PC World's World Beyond Windows column outlines coming improvements in the Chrome OS that will enable easily running Linux from a USB stick. Have you ever installed a full desktop Linux system on your Chromebook? It isn't all that hard, but it is a bit more complex than it should be. New features in the latest version of Chrome OS will make dipping into the alternative operating system easier. For example, you'll be able to easily boot a full Linux system from a USB drive and use it without any additional hassle. And that came from the World Beyond Windows column on PCWorld.com. Which was interesting because I was looking up additional stories about running Linux operating systems on Chromebooks since it did come up in our conversations a couple of days ago. And I was talking to uh, the person who wants to run Linux on their Chromebook about this. And uh, as sort of an adjunct to that story about running Ubuntu on a USB stick and basically straight off the USB drive, so you're sort of bypassing all the Chromebook and Chrome OS entirely. It isn't necessary to really do that because there has been a utility or a a bunch of scripts called Crouton out there for a while that allow you to dual boot a Chromebook into either Chrome OS or Ubuntu, which is useful. But now they've gone one step further. You can run that entire Ubuntu operating system in a browser tab under Chrome OS. It lets you switch between Chrome OS and Ubuntu simply by changing tabs. You can even resize the window so you can run Ubuntu apps in one window and Chrome OS or Chrome apps in another window simultaneously without having to dual boot, without having to switch back and forth into a different operating system. Uh, All you need is a Chrome OS device that's been set to developer mode, and it doesn't matter if you're using stable, beta, or the dev channel in Chrome. They all work. There's a great how-to on this. Whether you just want to use the original method for installing Crouton, which gives you the dual boot system, or this new way, which gives you the ability to run both simultaneously. And the links to those projects and to the installation instructions will be in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, Chromebooks, as we know, are finding a great bit of popularity in the community because they're basically full-blown, very powerful laptops. They tend to have smaller um, hard drives because most of the Chrome OS stuff is done in the cloud, web-based, but they tend to be very fast and they're very inexpensive. So being able to run Linux directly on them is a great thing. And this is a way to do it side by side and simultaneously with your Chrome install. Uh, The link to that will be in the show notes. And the story uh, came from a website called lilliputing.com. So computing in small environments. So check that out if you have a Chromebook or if you're thinking about getting a Chromebook. Uh, I know they're becoming popular, and I'm thinking about looking at one myself because 
there's a lot you can do with them. And finally, this is a story that uh, I came up with from my own experience. For anyone out there in the Linux world who runs the Zimbra mail server, whether you run the server or just the client, it's a pretty powerful piece of mail software. I run it both at work and at home. I tend to like it. And once you get used to it, it's a very nice overlay onto a standard postfix on Ubuntu with Amavis and Spam Assassin and all that kind of stuff. It, it basically takes all of those compo- component pieces and aggregates them and gives you a nice GUI interface. And then they also have a desktop client. But I was having a lot of trouble with my desktop client where it would lock up, not receive mail. I'd have to shut it down and start it up constantly. And it was really starting to get aggravating. Well, a recent update to the Zimbra server caused my client, the Zimbra desktop client, to not connect to it at all using SSL. So in researching that problem, I found out that the fix for it was to update the Java version because for some reason, even the latest version of Zimbra desktop is being released with Java version 1.6, which is super old, super outdated, and super buggy. It turns out that simply relinking the Java runtime environment that comes with Zimbra desktop to your system's Java library fixes not only the SSL connection problem, but basically every problem I ever had with Zimbra desktop. I've tried the latest version of 1.7 and the latest version of 1.8. I've tried it on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. And in every instance, it makes the Zimbra desktop run flawlessly. So hopefully uh, the Zimbra folks will actually get off their asses and start repackaging later versions of Java with their Zimbra desktop download so you won't have to go through this trouble. But if you do that, it will take care of the problem and fix it completely. Good news there. Oh, and Zimbra, by the way, is open source. They do have a community edition. They have a, a, a closed source commercial edition as well. Uh, but there is an open source community version available. Check it out if you want to see a interesting and uh, what I think useful desktop client uh, for email. It's also a group where it does calendaring, uh, has plugins for go to meeting and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's pretty powerful. But fix that Java. All right, that's about it for the Linux topics. So let's move on to our Linux in the Hamshack topics, and there's a couple of them here for this evening's show. The first one is something I heard about from our Google group, Linux in the Hamshack, and it's a software-defined radio application for Linux called GQRX. It's a pretty cool software application. It's based bu- based on the GNU Radio SDR framework and the Qt toolkit, so you'll have to have the underpinnings of either of those to uh, install it on your system. It's prepackaged for macOS, and it's prepackaged for Ubuntu, but it is not in the repos for Debian or other distros that I've seen so far. But it's a simple download of a tarball, configure, make, make, install to get it working on pretty much any system out there. But if you happen to be running Ubuntu, it's already available. If you happen to be running macOS, it's already available. And there's no saying that the deb for Ubuntu won't install and run properly on Debian. I just haven't given it a try, so I don't know. Uh, The website for this project is gqrx.dk. That's Gulf, Quebec, Romeo, X-Ray, Delta, Kilo. And the website says uh, gqrx 
is software-defined radio receiver powered by GNU Radio and the Cute Graphical Toolkit. It supports many of the SDR hardware available, including the FunCube dongle, RTL-SDR, HackRF, and USRP devices. There's even a table of all the supported devices available on the website. It's free, hacker-friendly software. It comes with a source code licensed under the GPL. Very cool. Which allows anyone to fix and modify it for any use. The latest stable version is 2.3. And as I said before, it's available for Linux, BSD, and Mac. And it has lots of features, including things like discovering devices attached to the computer, AM, SSB, FM, narrow and FM wide demodulators, variable band pass filters, recording and playing back of audio to and from wave files, recording and playing back of baseband data, uh, a beautiful waterfall and spectrum analysis screen, rig control, and all kinds of cool stuff. So if you're into software-defined radio and you want to see a nice-looking and easy-to-use Qt-based overlay for Linux or for Mac or BSD even, you should uh, check this out. It looks really interesting. And once I get my ham radio shack set back up, which shouldn't be too much longer now, I am going to check out GQRX and try it for myself. But the the screenshots and the information on the gqrx.dk website are plentiful. It gives you a good idea of what you're getting into, and the installation instructions are straightforward and easy to help you get started with your system. So if you have one of these supported devices, any of the RTL, SDRs, and fun cubes, and all that other kind of stuff, you might want to check this one out, depending on whether or not you're happy with the current SDR software that you're already using. And finally, in the Linux in the Hamshack world, for this fortnight anyway, I just saw this article on the Southgate Amateur Radio Club's website, so I thought I would throw it in here. It's kind of neat. It says, new open source data mode FSQ is developed. Khan Wasilev, Z Lima 2 Alpha Fox Papa, has developed a new, fast, simple chat mode for use on HF and VHF. FSQ is a fast QSO mode for MF, HF, works well under NVIS and sunrise sunset conditions on the lower bands, and also works well for short skip on higher bands. It can also be used on VHF, FM, and clearly has much wider useful range of operating conditions than other more conventional digital modes. Sending speed can be varied between 20 and 60 words per minute. FSQ is designed for simple but effective chat operation rather like phone text messaging or Skype chat, fast and easy to use. You don't use overs as you would with a conventional digital or voice mode. It's highly suited to net operation. You just type a sentence and press enter. Sensitivity is believed to be about negative 13 dB signal-to-noise ratio at 6 baud and negative 16 dBr signal-to-noise ratio at 3 baud. That's about 10 dB better and several times faster than 12 word per minute Morse. FSQ is not compatible in any way with XChat or Domino EX, and while also a chat mode, it uses a completely new and revolutionary protocol. Now, if you want to read more about FSQ, uh, you can go to qsl.net slash zlima1 bravo papa uniform slash all caps mfsk slash cap f cap s cap q web.htm, and uh, the link to where you can read about that that I just gave you and where you can download the FSQ application 
will be in the show notes, as well as the link to the Southgate Amateur Radio Club's news story about FSQ. This is interesting. I'm always interested to hear about new modes, frequencies, and chat methods you can use for digital communications on ham radio. And this is definitely the first I'd ever heard of this one. I believe that story came out in the last couple of days. So uh, check that out if you want to see what FSQ is all about. Uh, maybe see if you can make a QSO. I think that's it. Let me take a quick look over at the chat room. So I don't know if anybody's even paying attention out there. I guess we'll find out in a second when we sit here and twiddle our thumbs and see if anyone wants to say anything or tell us <laughs> that they're even hearing us out there. I think we might have one listener or two. Maybe three. Maybe three. Yeah, maybe three. Or maybe not. This is where we find out we're like 20 minutes delayed and no one's actually hearing the show yet. That means we can go take a nap while we Yeah, wait. I guess we can go take a nap. That sounds good. Okay. Nope, nope. I think that sure is about taking a nap. So Ted says oh, okay. it's okay to take a nap. Okay. So. All right. And Kleewick says he can hear us. Excellent. That means we're broadcasting. Good to know. Uh, see how popular we are? He says he was doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> so glad he could spend some time listening to the show. <laughs> anyway. I guess with that, we should move on to the music segment we've got for tonight. I found this song a little bit ago when I was digging around on Jamendo, trying to find something to throw in for tonight's program. And I came across this little piano rock song, which was kind of cool. And uh, I liked the way it sounded, so I figured I'd let you all hear it as well. It's by a man named Sam Brown, and it's from his album 37 Reasons. It's a song called Who Cares, and it's actually a relatively new song. This came out in October of last year. So, uh, just released music. Sam comes from Charlotte, North Carolina, here in the United States, and uh, he sounds like a pretty good artist to me. And uh, this is a pretty good song. We'll check this one out, and we'll be back in, uh, I think, a little under four minutes to continue our program. We're all fighting a battle. We're singing the same song. Trying to find someone who cares as much as we do We're all climbing the ladder While we're sinking in this boat Trying to find someone who cares Oh, I'm letting go Someone who cares as much as I do 
Sam Brown with Who Cares. So, not a bad tune. I didn't think that one was too bad. It was okay. It was okay. Were you even listening? Yes, I was listening. Duh. (laughs) You were the one who took off, not me. I had to go. I feel like I've been beaten with a rake. So... It's because we've been cleaning out uh, boxes from a move here lately. feel like I can move again, maybe by tomorrow. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, maybe. All right, that means i got to get back to the ether pad so we can continue on with the program. Mm-hmm. All right. So, moving on, we're into our feedback and announcements section. And our first bit of feedback, I guess if you want to call it, is we had uh, a great mention over on Amateur Radio Now which is a program that's done by, or sorry, not Amateur Radio Now, Ham Radio Now, yeah. I wasn't going to correct you. I wasn't going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, we have corrections enough coming up in the future. Yeah. But uh, Ham Radio Now, Gary Pierce is the host over at Ham Radio Now. It's a video ham radio podcast that gets released over on YouTube. He interviewed David Rowe about the SM-1000 and Kodak 2 and all that stuff, which we did a little while back. And during that discussion, he mentioned us. I'd also like to mention up here at the top that if people want to know more about your background, more about how you got into this stuff, you did a good interview with the folks over at Linux and the Ham Shack. Yes. And that concentrated um, a lot on your background, how you got into all this. Yeah, so yeah. so that's, that would be a good place to go if, as you get interested in what, what you have done. Linux and the Ham Shack is a great podcast. It's audio only. Um, and it's not all Linux. It's it's one of my favorites because the the guys are very casual. They you know <laughs> they, they don't try to be broadcasters, and they don't they're and they're not awkward about being in front of their microphones. They're they're a lot of fun no, to listen to. Right. Very easy to listen to. Mm. All right, so um, so go to Linux in the Ham Shack, and and your episode is just a couple episodes back, and you can find out more about your background. So we'll concentrate here on the the current stuff. So there you go, Gary Pierce from Ham Radio Now, talking about Linux and the Ham Shack. Yay! Yay. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad we got a nice mention over there, and I'm glad he actually listens to the show and, you know, at least acts like he listens to the show. So. Well, he knew it was a couple of episodes back, so... <laughs> that's that's very that true. Is, that is a plus, so... Yep. So thanks again, Gary. That's uh, great. We're glad you're a listener, and... Glad you enjoyed the program. We also enjoy your program. So, very cool. Yep, so now uh, we can move on from the Mutual Admiration Society and uh, talk about some feedback we've got. we got several bits of feedback about episode number 140. The first one is from Devin, Whiskey 7, November Delta. And Devin says, a couple of corrections. The Kenwood THF6A will receive SSB, AM, FM, and even CW but only transmits in FM. Also, Kenwood is a Japanese company, a division of JVC Kenwood. They have an R&D facility for radio in Georgia. There is a SSB-capable HT in development, the Algoram, the HT of the future, and uh, it's based on Chris Testa's white box hardware, radio.testa.co, to find out more about that. I believe the Algoram hardware will have Codec 2 built in. Which, that's cool. It's good to see Codec 2 getting out there in ways other than simply free DV. And he also says, in addition to Tentech and Elecraft, Flex is based in the United States. This was in reference to Pete's comment in uh, episode number 140 that Kenwood was a United States-based electronics manufacturer. It turns out 
that it definitely is not. It was founded in Japan and continues to be in Japan, even though they have some American facilities. Uh, we got several comments about this, so we wanted to make sure that we put out the correct information instead of the incorrect information. Ian, KM4IK, also commented on this. Uh, I listened to episode number 140 this morning. Pete gave out some erroneous information. He mentioned that Kenwood is the only U.S.-based manufacturer of high-end ham gear. Uh, that is not true, as we now know. Per its corporate website, JVC Kenwood is headquartered in Kanagawa, Japan. It isn't a U.S.-based company. Uh, Elecraft is in Aptos, California. Tentec is in Sevierville, Tennessee. Uh, it's now owned by RF Concepts. And Flex Radio is uh, in Austin, Texas. All manufacturers of high-quality, high-end transceivers and other equipment. Uh, in addition, U.S.-based companies such as RF Concepts from Longmont, Colorado, make and sell amplifiers and other accessories, as do MFJ from Starkville, Mississippi, and other companies. You guys do a great show. I love the new format. Please keep up the good work. So thanks, Ian, and thanks, Devin, for pointing out our incorrect information. We're happy to correct that and to let people know about all the other great American-based manufacturers that are, in fact, out there, like Tentec, Elecraft, MFJ, and so on. Uh, so that's very cool. We are probably going to take a look at some of these other Codec 2 things that were mentioned by Devin, uh, like the Algorand, uh, the handy talkie of the future, in an upcoming episode, because that sounds like really cool technology and something we definitely need to take a look at, because it will, in fact, be Linux in the Hamshack, most likely. And by the way, while that was not the first comment we have received from Ian KM4IK, that is the first comment that I can recall that we received from Devin, W7ND. So thank you, Devin, for your comments. We always love to hear from our listeners. And uh, finally, we have a comment on episode number 140 from Dan, AlphaFox7Oscar. And he says, are there any updates on CQR test development? CQR log is my go-to log for day-to-day -day use. But I have to resort to Windows apps in Wine for contest logging. Boo. By the way, welcome to Southwest Missouri. I originally got my license while in Branson through the Elmering of the White River Valley Amateur Radio Society. So thanks, Dan, for writing in. And I did check up on CQR test, and it looks like uh, Peter has not done anything with CQR test in over a year. And the last commit that I saw on the CQR test project had to do with adding contests to the database it may be a functional piece of software but it is not one that we have really discussed and it's not one that we recommend for contest logging unfortunately we don't really have something we can truly recommend for contest logging because linux-based contest loggers really don't exist but the one we mention most frequently and the one we do suggest when we suggest one is yfk test which is written by DJ1YFK, and we actually mentioned that one in response to a listener question on the last episode. We are still out there hunting for that elusive Linux-based contest logger, but we don't know of one real strong candidate yet, and CQR test, like I said, doesn't have any commits or comments or development or active development since about March of 2014. So thanks for writing in, though. Thanks for being a listener. And uh, if you find that contest logger, be sure to let us know because we really want to know what it is so we can let everybody else know as well. Can I add a little side note to that? Sure. You're you're not new to Southwest Missouri. Oh, I was going to address yeah. that, yes. Uh, I'm not sure where he came across the idea that I was new to Southwest Missouri because I actually moved to Southwest Missouri in 2000. 
It's just that I worked in Arkansas and it seemed like I was there all the time. But you my, were. Well, I was. But yeah. my actual residence has been southwest Missouri for the last 15 years. So I'm not new to this area. But thanks anyway for welcoming me back. <laughs> so uh, very cool. And I'm glad that the White River, Amateur, or White River Valley Amateur Radio Society was able to Elmer you into getting your ticket. And uh, I didn't bother to find out where you are now. But uh, with a seven call, you're probably... Oh, out in Oregon or something like that would be my guess. Let me let me, let me find out because I'm curious if you're uh, like from this area anymore. Let's go to Peter's other project, hamqth.com. Peter Hlozek, by the way. Okay, 2CQR. And look up AF70. Comes back as Auburn, Washington. So apparently you got out. Congratulations, Dan. <laughs> he was one of the smart ones. yeah he was one of the ones that got away while he could so all right excellent so thanks anyway uh dan thanks for listening it's always good to hear from you and uh with that i think we have feedback pretty much wrapped up so we are on to segment five and segment five as everybody knows is cheryl's recipe corner so i'm gonna hand it over to you yay food yay food yay definitely. food <laughs> the recipe that i picked tonight it's called garlic lemon double stuffed chicken. I've actually made this for us a couple of times. I think he liked it. Pretty sure he did. He cleaned it up anyway. You use cream cheese and cheddar cheese as you better, you know, you butterfly chicken breast, stick some cheese in there and sprinkle some uh, lemon juice and butter on it. And it makes a very yummy chicken breast. So um, the recipe, of course, will be on the website. So you can go check it out there. So do you have any input on the recipe? No. No, I actually don't know that I recall this one. When was the last time you made it? Mm, a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago. Are you sure? Yeah. Do you know a couple of months ago was still in 2015, right? Yes. Okay, because I don't remember having this. Wow, you slept through it. You don't remember me sticking cheddar cheese and cream cheese in a chicken breast? You said it was a lot like the chicken that I eat at Hula Hands. You know, I don't remember that, but that's exactly what it sounds like it would be like. So, it, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's very uh, good. Okay, well, maybe you'll have to make this again really soon, so I know. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, then we can follow up, and I will give a nice critique of this this recipe. I see. It would be kind of interesting to hear from our listeners if anyone has actually made any of these things you've suggested and whether or not they like them. So, yeah. what do you think? Let's, let's put in a call for uh, comments <laughs> on Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Recipe reviews? Recipe <laughs> reviews, yeah, that sounds good so listener recipe reviews that 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 will be your homework for the next fortnight we want to hear at least one or two reviews for the next show well you know since i'm starting a bakery business um maybe i should post my uh recipes for brownies and stuff that i'm planning on featuring in the bakery and let people make those and let me know if it's actually something i should do or not so yeah there you go yay so cool. Uh, the, the full recipe, of course, will be on the website. It will be over at Cheryl's website as well, madamoo.com. <laughs> well, you're so funny. No, <laughs> I'm making you do it now. You got to put it out there. It, I am so far behind on my website. It's well, there you go. Time to get sad. it up to date. Did I, I just mentioned I'm starting a bakery business, right? <laughs> you're what, aware of this, too. <laughs> and I have a full time job and I do a podcast, so you can do that. So. Yeah, well, when I get done with the cake orders this week, I'll talk about <laughs> okay. it. Okay. So. Anyway, you can find the recipe on Linux in the Ham Shack website. And eventually anyway. on my website. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So with that, with the, the closing of this fortnight's recipe corner, we're going to move on to social media roundup. Uh, go ahead and uh, I 
think we're almost down to the wire here, and there's a few names that uh, you'll have fun with in this list. So. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, people don't like me or something. Okay, so anyway, in our donations category, for monthly, we have Steve Conklin, Jeremy Hall, Scott Pettigrew, Bill Arcant. And for yearly, we have Rob Branch Dosh. I'm guessing that's correct. Not sure. So if it's not correct, feel free to yell at me or just yell at Russ. It's okay. Okay, so under Facebook, Walter Adelman, Rick Bagwell, Gerhard Elian, I believe that is correct, Manfred Krenn, Joe Ball, Victor Allison, Mark Skinner. Mm-hmm. Well, you want some help? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Jagadish uh, Malakanavar? Yeah, I was, that's what I was going with, okay. Jagadish Malakanavar. That's what it sounds like, <laughs> or looks like, anyway. And Ray Dashna. Google Plus is Devin... Ulibari. Okay, Ulibari. Okay, thank you. And... Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on. You can do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a shot. Zilvinus Atkosianus. And yeah. I'm sure that's not even close, but there you go. I'll right. give it a shot. I Cecil P. I'm going to guess on that one. Jim Neal, Philip Oakley, Aaron Hobson, and Eric Poth. Nobody bought anything this week. Nobody signed up for the newsletter this week. And then for Twitter, <clears throat> we have at Kevy49. At K H O O S at L Y two S S at Rim F L A seventy six at W A four Z K zero or K O excuse me V K two F N J W K B zero O X D and C T Jacobs underscore U K and nobody joined us on YouTube so. Nope, poor YouTube, although we haven't really put anything on yeah. YouTube in a while. Though we may do something for YouTube, since we're coming down to the end of our Indiegogo campaign, we may do one of those finish out the Indiegogo campaign live yes. Google Hangout things. If we do, the information about that will be on the website here very shortly. And I'm going to try and get this episode out before the Indiegogo campaign ends, which as of today is seven days from now. So be looking for this episode very soon, and if you can help us out, go to igg.me slash at slash lhs dash hamvention dash 2015. Right now, we're halfway there. We do have one week left, and I hope that we somehow manage to get over the top in the next week. And if we do, we'll see everybody at Hamvention. Yeah, we're going to see exploding toilets or something this year. Gotta help us out, please. (laughs) (laughs) And who wouldn't want to be there for that? Hamvention is always entertaining. It is very entertaining. Not only do I get to meet cool people, but I also get to hear about people wading through sewage or exploding toilets or something. So (laughs) who could miss that? You know, that's important to see and, and, you know, experiment or experience. Definitely. You definitely want to be there for that. Nothing is more fun. Exactly. Uh, I just got a quick note from the chat room. It seems our illustrious show notes taker, Harrison, has taken it upon himself to start writing a contest logger. He's calling it VE2HKW log or VE2HKW contest logger. And we will have a link to that project in the show notes if you want to check it out. I'll be checking it out because I want to see where he's at on that and see if it's going to turn into the, the next great 
Linux software for ham radio so we can start talking about it. And, it, you know, if it does, it may make Harrison rich, you know, that would be great. But he's, he's like talking at me in the chat room, like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to see what his comment is before I move on to the outro. Did I say something wrong? I don't think so. Why? I said Harrison, right? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the... Uh, I'm not sure what all that ranting is in the chat room, but I think we're going to move on. So I'm going to push the button to start the outro, and we're going to get on out of here. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, let me push some buttons here. Hopefully I push the right button, and we hear some music. Oh, look, there we go, music. music. All right. Cool. So anyway, this is Russ, K5TUX, and you have been listening to Linux in the Ham Shacks, episode number 142. Uh, if you want to find out everything you wanted to ever know about our show, go to lhspodcast.info. That's where it all is. If you want to become an ambassador and represent Linux in the Ham Shack at an upcoming HamFest or Linux conference, you can do that. Uh, you can just send us an email at ambassadors at lhspodcast.info to find out everything about it. There's also a page on the website that contains all you'd ever need to know. We love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can also call us and leave a voicemail. 1909-LHS-SHOW. 1909-547-7469. Our IRC channel, Hash LHS Podcast, is on the Freenode Network. So visit us there. There's someone there pretty much 24-7. Go ahead and subscribe to our mailing list. A link to it is on the website. You can even buy some cool Linux in the Hamshack and Badger merchandise over at CafePress.com slash LHS Podcast or PrintFection.com slash LHS Podcast. You can also help us out by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the webpage. That doesn't cost you anything, and it puts a little money in our coffers to keep the show running. Our show is broadcast live every other Tuesday or every other Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. That's 0200 Zulu on Tuesday mornings. Countdown timer and the show schedule is on the website. Thank you to all our listeners, the people listening live, the people who listen ex post facto, whether you listen in the past, in the future, or right now. Thank you very much. So tune in in a couple of weeks' time, and we'll be back with episode number 143. Have a good night, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Could be a threesome. <laughs>